Hello. Welcome to John Talking Jesus in a Jedi with Java. So today I am still John and I will be talking about Jesus. And I have Java, but I am not in a Jetta. I am in my 2009 Kia. Shout out to my neighbor, Kelly S. Thank you for selling us this car. Let's see, I don't have a lot going on. Uh, oh, actually one thing that's going on is I'm not using my cell phone today. You might be able to tell a difference in the audio or video quality. I'm just messing with different things that don't cost too much. And I found an old flip uh, video recorder in my office. And so today's episode is recorded on a flip. It's gotta be eight years old, maybe something like that. I don't know. Um, anyway, so that's what we're working with today. Some old tech, but we'll see if it does a better job than my cell phone. And what else? Uh, not much else is happening. I'll fill you in more later. If you're watching this and you, uh, or if you're listening to it, I just want to encourage you to subscribe. And if you subscribe on YouTube, make sure you hit the bell icon so you get notifications. Today, uh, we are talking about one of the craziest uh, parables Jesus ever told. In fact, one of the commentators I was reading up on said this one is a monster. (laughs) A monster parable. No. It's not a monster like that. It's just difficult to understand. So it goes basically like this. There was a manager, there was an owner uh, who heard that his manager had been wasting his property. So the owner went to the manager and said, what is this I hear about you? You can no longer be my manager. You need to turn in the accounts of your books. And so the manager thought, oh no, what am I going to do? I am too old to dig, too old for manual labor, and too ashamed to beg. Oh, nah, wait, I know what I can do. Here's what I'll do. And then he went and he found the people who owed his master money uh, in the form of goods, and he went and talked to them. And he went to one and said, how much wheat do you owe my master? And the person said, uh, 80 bushels. And he said, quickly, write down 50. And then he went and asked another one, how much oil do you owe my master? And the man said, I owe him 100 measures of oil. And he said, quick, sit down and write and make it 70. And when the master heard what had happened, he commended the dishonest servant. For the people of this world are more shrewd in their dealings with them than are the people of light. I'm just going to pull it out here while I'm at a stop sign. I tell you, make... And here's where it gets really weird. Jesus is speaking. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of your unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. Because one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in very much, and one who is dishonest in little will be dishonest in very much. If you haven't been faithful with unrighteous wealth, who would entrust true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful 
in that which is another's who will give you something to be your own. Nobody can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard these things, and they ridiculed Jesus. But Jesus said to the Pharisees, You are the ones who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So that's the parable. And now we have to figure out what in the world Jesus was doing telling a parable where the owner commends the dishonest steward. So I kind of, I got to give you a little introduction here. We're going to, I'm going to try and go through this and there's some things I really want to explain and then uh, we'll try to get some, like how in the world does this even make any difference in my life? I mean, I think you could probably see that a little as we went on, but we're going to, that's, that's where we're going to go is uh, let's, we're going to walk through the parable to explain it. And then we're going to figure out what we can do to make this our own and what it teaches us about how to live life. So the parable starts out with a manager. And usually when there's a manager and an owner in a, uh, in a parable, the owner is God and the managers are the religious leaders. And you'll find that in other parables too. There's a parable of tenants in a vineyard. They rented out a vineyard and the, they refused to give the owner his portion of the harvest. And that thing went down a different way and stuff. So if you got a rich man, an owner, someone giving a banquet, something like that, that's pretty much a God figure. And typically the manager is going to be those who are in charge of the God life, if you want to call it that spiritual life, which in the case of the people at Jesus' time would be the Jewish religious leaders. So, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought against him that he's wasting his money. So, this wasting thing, so i got to back up for a moment, if you'll permit me, and I'm going to do it even if you won't permit me, because it's my podcast and you can't do anything about it. One of the things, as we read through this parable, you have to realize is that teachers teach things in order. Uh, you, you don't just go teach people how to divide fractions, right? That's not what you start with in kindergarten. You're starting with one apple plus one apple equals two apples. And then you get up into two plus two is four. And then you might get into four minus two is two. And then, you know, a few grades later, you get your multiplication tables. And then get fractions and then finally you get how to divide fractions so you got to teach things in order and Jesus is no different he teaches things in order so whenever you read anything that Jesus is teaching and someone tells you what it means just in isolation you got to be careful of that because it might be leading somewhere else like anyone else like any other teacher Jesus teaches things that lead you somewhere else often it's to sort of a middle spiritual life realization that you need to have to get to something else. So this particular parable is sandwiched between two other parables. It comes after a parable that we would have done last week if I would have had an episode, but we've talked about it before. It's the parable of the prodigal son, and that the son uh, gets uh, asks his dad for his part of the inheritance, and the dad uh, in a 
in an inexplicable decision, decides to go ahead and give his son his portion of the inheritance. And the son goes off and wastes it. He spends it on wild living with prostitutes and stuff. And he ends up uh, in hard times, like Jesus paints it as the hardest time you can imagine, a Jewish boy feeding pigs. <laughs> what a great storyteller. And anyway, the kid decides to come home and he, he figures he can at least make money as one of his dad's servants. And he comes home and his dad loves him and welcomes him and so glad he's back and restores him. Uh, actually, not restores him to sonship, reminds him of his sonship is really what goes on. And then there's another son who gets his nose out of joint because he's the dutiful son. And uh, he's like, you know, you never gave me a party, but this son of yours gets a party. Uh, and so the parable's really about this father who loves both sons equally. The sons have to do, get the consequences of their actions, but he loves both sons equally. And uh, that's what that's all about. Uh, and the, we're left wondering, we, the younger son has a party, and we don't even know whether that older, dutiful son can get over his bitterness and go in and have the joy of the party. Then we get this parable, and then the parable after this one is about a rich man and, La and a guy named Lazarus, was a baker, and uh, so it's a parable about the afterlife, and Lazarus goes to a good place, and the rich man goes to a bad place. And so this parable that we just read is sandwiched in between those two parables. So you got the father who wants everybody to come into the party, you got this parable, and then you got this other parable where uh, some people are in a good place and some people are not in a good place in their eternal uh, home. So this parable, I people have struggled with it for years and I don't think you can make sense of it unless you see it in the context of the other parables. So, back to the parable. You got the rich man and his manager and the manager is wasting the possessions. And that, when, when we talk about wasting and we use the same word as the prodigal son who's just blowing it, he's just blowing it. He has no thought or care for the consequences of what he's doing. He certainly isn't thinking about the future at all. Uh, he's not thinking about principles or values or the future or anything. He's just thinking about what would be fun to do. He's wasting the money. He's just wasting it. And so the rich man says, you can't. You can't be my manager. You're just wasting everything. And uh, so the manager's like, goes, holy cow, what do I do now? Because I, obviously I'm too old to go be a manual laborer and I'm not going to go beg. So he's fine. He's thinking about his future. And I think that really this is the point of the parable, is that he's finally thinking about his future. So he, he goes and does this little thing, which, you know, None of those other people are going to make him a manager, right? Because uh, why would you make someone a manager who mismanages someone else's funds? But at least he, you know, generates some goodwill by changing all their bills. So, um, and then the master commends him. And I think, this is what I think, and this is why everybody has struggled. I think they struggle to figure out what's commendable about taking your master's accounting books and changing what everybody owes. And I can understand that like on a, on a, uh, 
on a universal scale, that's not commendable, right? <laughs> it is not commendable to just go in and randomly alter books to make friends. But if you are a person who hasn't been thinking about your future at all, who hasn't been making any decisions with any with respect toward any consequences or anything, just the wasteful life, and suddenly you start thinking about the future and you figure out something to do, I think that's a commendable step. Even though it's not where we would want... We, would, we wouldn't want this guy to stop there, right? But at least, at least he's starting to think about his future and he's using the, the resources he has at hand because he hasn't been pulled from the job yet. He's using the resources he has at hand to take care of the future. And I think that's really what's commendable is that he's... Uh, beginning to look forward. He's beginning to say that uh, obviously each decision is happens now, but for the first time in who knows how long, he's making decisions with respect to their longer-term consequences and, his, and, and what he needs to take care of. So that's how he ends up getting commended. Uh, and then it says the people of uh, the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. And I, for my money, I think you just got to accept that. I think it's just true. I think people get good at what they think about, what they try to get good at. There's, what is it, the rule from uh, Malcolm Gladwell? I don't know if it's a real hard and fast rule, but it's 10,000 hours of dedicated practice and study will make you an expert at anything. Uh, so, you know, you get good at what you what you think about and what you practice and what you want to be good at and you make intentional effort toward being good at. So if you want to be shrewd and be able to outfox other people and outwit them out of their money, uh, regardless of the ethics or anything, if that's the kind of person you want to be, well, you're going to be better at that than the kind of person who wants to walk around bringing the love of God and Christ Jesus into the world who wants to go around forgiving people and showing them grace and mercy so their hearts could be soft and they could begin to show grace and mercy to other people. You're just going to get taken sometimes. That doesn't mean Christians can't be good business people or whatever, but occasionally Christians are just going to probably get get rooked. They're going to get taken advantage of because that's not what they want to concentrate on. They don't want to concentrate on how to be shrewd. They want to concentrate on how to live Christ-like life. So it's just going to happen. I, I know for me, like if somebody asks me for money, I know, you know, some people say don't ever give cash. I kind of disagree with that. I don't always give cash either. I mean, so I think the Spirit of God inhabits the entire universe and that if I'm ready to hear, I can hear. So if someone asks me for money, I just like listen for a moment. <laughs> I don't... I don't want to sound too goofy. I, I, some people would say listen to God. Some people say listen to the Holy Spirit. You might, you could say listen to the universe, whatever. I don't know. But I, I, uh, I, I stop and I, I, uh, I ponder, is this the right, is this a point at which to give some money? And if I don't get a no from wherever the no comes from, then I give some money. And you know what? Occasionally, someone's going to take that money and, buy a little weed or buy some beer or something with it. I don't know. What am I supposed to do? But you know what? I used to try to figure it out all the time. And here's the conclusion I came to. 
the conclusion I came to is this. I would rather be taken advantage of every week than let my heart grow cold to the needs of people right in front of me. I mean, we live in a weird time, right, when when for the for the cost of an email, which is a, approaches zero, uh, someone can ask you for money for some cause. And so when Jesus said, give to anyone who asks, it can't be, that can't be a universal rule for all time and all space. Because, you know, when the postal service started, for the cost of a postage stamp, you could start getting people asking you. Now people can ask you for nothing than other than buying 10,000 email addresses for 20 bucks, right? So it can't be that. But when someone's right in front of you, now there are t- obviously if they're they're a staggering drunk and they are asking you for more money to get more alcohol, probably not, right? But if you put yourself in the place of interrogating people every time they're asking for a dollar, you change the way you move through the universe. You change the way you move through your community. You, you change the way your heart it, uh, engages the world. And for me, this is just my decision. You know what? I and in, I intend to live generously, and I'm going. And I believe that even if I'm getting taken advantage of, I'm sowing seeds of generosity into the world, and I'm going to do it. Am I going to get taken advantage of? You betcha. But you know what? Some of those people I take advantage take advantage of me will think later of the guy who actually asked their name and had a conversation with them, even as they were taking advantage of me. And some for some of them that might soften their heart a little bit or give them new courage or, or give them a sense of self-worth that they didn't have previously because I took the time to engage with them for a few minutes or something. I don't know. All I know is that I would rather get taken advantage of all the time than let my heart grow cold to the needs around me. So that's what I do. And that was like a side rant and I'm not even sure how we ended up there. So where are we? Ah. Uh, I tell you, Jesus says, make, this is the other thing, make friends for yourselves by means of your unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, not if it, not if your money fails, but when it fails, you will have people to receive you into eternal dwellings. So there's a, an acknowledgement there of eternal life. And Jesus says, listen, at least, at least use your money to build friendships with people so that you have friends in the next life. I mean, he hasn't gone anywhere near heaven and hell or anything like that at all. But he's like, listen, at least think about it. Uh, if you're going to really invest your money wisely, this whole earth thing, it's temporary, right? This is a this is a quick gig. It's 60, 70, 80 years and you're done. Uh, why not invest your money in ways that move, that, that take, that, that the consequences of your investment go through into uh, the eternal life toward which we're all headed. So again, that's also Jesus being a step-by-step teacher. I don't think that would be Jesus' final lesson. (laughs) I'm quite sure that would not be Jesus' final lesson, but it might be the only lesson that someone can hear if they're used to being, if they're used to being all about their money and themselves and what to do with their money that would be best for themselves. And someone says, listen, you know, there is actually life after death, if you believe in such a thing. And many people do, whether or not they're on the Christian side of it or not. Um, And if you believe there's another life to come, then maybe the best investment you can make 
is to use your money to build relationships with other people so that there's other people who are glad to see you on the other side, right? I mean, that, that's obviously not the end game for the, a Christian message, but it might be the first step, you know, on the staircase toward the high message of participating in the redemption of the world through the love of Christ. So I think that's what's going on in this whole thing. I think it's just like, I, I think the previous parable painted the picture of the loving God who always welcomes everybody home. And this parable is the wake up parable. The, the think about what you're doing now in terms of its consequences in the future parable. So he's our, which is important because the first thing he sets up is God's loving kindness toward everybody. God's open welcome arms all the time. That's a prodigal son. He's pleading with everybody to come home. And now he says, now he takes it to a different place. He's like, so wake up and think about what you're doing with this life. And then he says, this is where you get, this. it goes down a little bit. Um, he, well, he, there, he says three different ways, you know, faithful and little means faithful and much. Unfaithful and little means unfaithful and much. And that's just kind of a, you see that, it's a principle. You see it in, in the way businesses work all the time, right? You don't start out running a business. You typically, anyways, start out with a very low-level job. And when you prove responsible in that, you move to a higher-level one. You pro prove responsible in that, you move to a higher-level one, right? The perfect example of this is Hell's Kitchen. I don't know if you watch Hell's Kitchen. I typically, I don't like reality TV at all, but there is something about Hell's Kitchen that just grabs my attention. I don't know if it's just Gordon Ramsay screaming at people. I don't think it is. I, I, I like the challenges, like the one where he makes a dish and then they have to just taste it and recreate it. That's crazy, man. That's pretty challenging. So they don't do that toward the end. So in the beginning, you got 16 people, half of whom, you know, there's very little chance they're ever going to get to the end. But, oh, this is the other thing I like about it, by the way, is there's real sauce on the table. There is, they are, the winner uh, is playing, the, the, this whole thing is going off for Gordon Ramsay to pick the executive chef of one of his restaurants. So, like, the season I'm watching now, it's all Netflix binge-watching, right? The season I'm watching now uh, gets whoever wins will be the executive chef at Aroxy in uh, Whistler, the ski resort in um, at Whistler Mountain in Canada. And Aroxy has won, like, best restaurant in Whistler for, like, 10 years running or whatever. So it's a big deal to pick the new executive chef for Aroxy. So in Hell's Kitchen, it starts out with a bunch of people and a bunch of different challenges and things get hard. And one by one, the people who can't handle it are eliminated. They're, they're, they're unable to handle the little stuff. So he's not going to put the big stuff in front of him, his restaurant. And so he just kind of slowly weeds them out until he gets to the one that he believes is a good choice to be the executive chef at one of his restaurants. So that's the thing. And so this idea of he was faithful with little will be faithful with much. It's, it's a principle. It's an aphorism. It's a, it's a normal, it's like an obvious truth on face value. So, and then he says that thing three different ways. And then he says, no one can serve two masters. 
He will either love the one and hate the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he's like, this is the mic drop moment. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. There is nothing wrong with money. There's nothing really right with money. You can't serve God and money. And here's the reason. Because the principles are different. God is about love and redemption and restoration and new life. And money is about accounting and keeping the books balanced and uh, collecting debts and all that kind of stuff, right? And uh, again, I'm not trying to say money is bad, but you need to decide. And I think this is the question Jesus is calling us to. I need to check and make sure my camera's still Yep, it is. The red light's on. Jesus, this is, like I said, this is like that middle one, right? We got the loving Father. This is the you-need-to-pick-a-side kind of moment. You cannot serve God and money. Which is going to take first place in your life? Which is going to... Which is going to be the priority one if they're both in play? I'll make up an example. It's probably a horrible example. You go to a garage sale, and someone's selling all their stuff, right? Which is, you know, people have garage sales, awesome. You go there, and they're selling their grandfather's watch. Only, they have no idea that their grandfather's watch is worth $37,000, because they don't know watches. All they know is grandpa gave it to them before he died, He's been keeping it in the top drawer of his dresser all this time. He didn't even wear it because it actually doesn't keep time all that great. And you have to remember to wind it. So when they pulled out all their stuff to sell, they're selling the watch for thirty-seven. that's worth $37,000. And they're asking five bucks for the old watch from Grandpa. And you are just thrilled. Now that's an awesome find. And all things being equal, awesome. But you're talking to the person, and what you find out is they have huge medical bills from a hospitalization, or two, or three, and it turns out they're having to sell their stuff because they're having to sell their house, because they're like $30,000 down and there's no way out of the hole because they couldn't work after their hospitalization either. And so, in the middle of this conversation, you find out that if they had the knowledge of the watch that is actually their watch, that would make a stunning difference in their life. Uh, it, it would enable them to keep their house. And now you have to decide, because you're the one holding the knowledge about the value of the watch. And I think a scenario like this is where you decide whom you serve. Because if you serve money, then all you know is that's awesome. You found a great bargain and it's too bad the person didn't do their research. You know, you snooze, you lose. They had the internet just like everybody else. But if you're serving God, if you're trying to bring love and redemption in the world, if you see all humankind as brother and sister, there's only one thing you can do in my opinion. And I'm not here to judge you. That's not what I'm saying. But listen, it seems to me that if you go there and you find this watch that you know is worth $37,000 and they're about to lose their house and they're selling the watch for five bucks and you 
find out their story and you don't tell them about the actual value of their watch. <laughs> I don't know. I'd like to buy you a beer and talk to you more about it. That's, that's all I'm saying. So you got to think about whom you serve. And, and, and it's, about the, it's about the way you make decisions now. And it's about decisions with respect to the future. Because that's what the guy gets commended for, is suddenly thinking about the future. So when you make your decisions right now about your time, about your money, about the way you use your God-given and self-developed talents in the world, what are you thinking about? Are you thinking about anything? Or are you just thinking about what's fun? That's, yeah, uh, I don't need to go there. Are you thinking about anything but what's fun? Because this, this, uh... This text is kind of just a wake up, wake up and think about what you're doing kind of thing. Let me tell you about the Pharisees for a moment. It says the Pharisees were lovers of money. So the Pharisees, we've talked about it before. It's a sect of people who uh, thought that uh, the, the Jewish people were occupied by the Romans. And the Pharisees thought if they obeyed every single law perfectly, they could get God's favor and God would throw the Romans off again. They would have their own Jewish state. But part of that is, uh, part of what goes on underneath there is the idea they held that you can see God's blessing by the material wealth of a person. That, that you can measure God's blessing by the material wealth of a person. And of course, Jesus is the one who said, blessed are the poor maybe said blessed are the poor because they don't have to deal with some of the really dangerous spiritual struggles that rich people have to handle uh, because they're just you know seriously poor people don't have to decide between buying another car and feeding more people because it's just not an option right and uh, and there's a lot of pride and access anyway that's not where we're going with this so I don't want to go any further down that road But the Pharisees were laughing at him because Jesus says things like the poor people are blessed and stuff like that. So I got three things, three little lessons to wrap this thing up. Uh, lesson one, it takes us back to where, where I started actually, is if you're going to learn things from the Bible, uh, oh, there's a lot... It's not that it's not clear in some ways, but you always, gosh, you just need to take everything with a grain of salt and be open to new interpretations and ways of looking at things because, like, for instance, this particular story where the, the uh, manager kind of gets the better of his rich boss by changing the accounts to make friends so that people will let him stay in their houses after he gets fired from his job. Uh, there are cultures that one of the commentators I read had some friends who lived in Africa and he said that in some of the tribal cultures the uh, unjust manager would be the hero of the story because he managed to stick it to the rich guy. He managed to pull one over on Mr. Smarty Pants. So I, I don't think that's what's going on here. But cultural distance 
between you and me and the time and place of the Bible. And this goes for anybody who's listening to the podcast, but especially people in America. The difference in life and outlook between you and me and people in uh, first century Israel is it's a chasm. And so we always have to watch out for that cultural distance. But the thing I really want to just be remind everybody of is that teachers teach in stages. And just because the Bible says something, or even just because Jesus said something, doesn't mean like that's his final word on the subject. He's, he's teaching people. He's taking them somewhere. And so, you know, just... If people quote Jesus at you, make sure you know, make sure they know what they're talking about, and they, they know the teachers teach in stages, and they've taken some time to research things, and, and if they, if, if anybody says like for 100% absolute certain sure, they know exactly what Jesus meant when he said this, I would probably find somebody else to listen to. I mean, honestly, seriously, because we're always finding new things, new, new ways to understand the culture and language of the time and everything, right? I mean, and, and there's always been people who are locked down dead certain that they understand things, and guess what? We understand things different now. It happens in every discipline, not just the religious disciplines. In the year 1900, and this is before, like, before modern quantum theory, before the theory of relativity and Einstein, in 1900, young scientists were advised by their elder scientists not to go into physics because most of the, because all the major discoveries of physics had already been made. And from the, from 1900 on, it was just going to be a matter of working out the details. <laughs> Can you believe that? So anyway, that's why I think we're on an exploratory journey, not not something where we find so, we finally find the answer and we have to stick to it and get mad at people who disagree with us and stuff. So that all that is to say. Jesus is a teacher, and whatever he says in a moment might be part of a teaching process, not the final word on the subject. All right, so that's one. Number two, you cannot serve God and money. We got, I kind of went off already on all these things. So you can't, you, you cannot, you need to decide what your life is really about. And if it's about accumulation, I say go for it. Here's the thing you don't want to do. You don't want to just stay on the fence. Because when you're on the fence, if you just stay on the fence, you will never find out the truth or falsehood of the different paths that you are refusing to choose between. So Jim Carrey said, Jim Carrey said, I wish everybody could achieve the level of success and fame and financial uh, uh, reward that I have because they would find out that it doesn't fill that hole in your soul. And to that, most people say, I understand that you say, you know, $30 million in the bank doesn't doesn't make you happy, but I'd like to find that out for myself. <laughs> I mean, let's just be real, okay? Real moment? Okay, thank you. Um, but seriously, in Revelation, Jesus, the, the Jesus figure in Revelation says this, he says, oh, I wish that you were hot or cold. 
but since you are lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. And I think what he's getting at is you got to choose a direction. Choose something and go after it. Even if it's just like plain old money. Go after it. Go get it. Because, you know, until you actually go get it, you're going to be continuing to live the rest of your life under the illusion that money is going to fulfill you. So if that's what you really think, go get it. Just do it. The only, Because here's the thing. God can get anybody... I think the hardest life for God to get a hold of, for God's love to get a hold of, is a life that is just sitting there, not doing anything. That's what I think that hot or cold thing is about. So, the only bike that can't be steered is the bike that isn't being pedaled, right? If it's not moving, you can't steer it. So just pick a direction and go. Do something. Go after something. And then keep evaluating. I would say keep praying or keep meditating or or whatever you whatever you want to do to be open to truth in the universe. Go after something and be open to truth. But you can't Jesus anyway says you can't serve God and money because they are because sooner or later those two masters are going to come into conflict you're going to have to choose one or the other uh, so my suggestion is you choose God uh, but if you're not going to choose God then choose money and go after it because you'll find out that you should have chosen God quicker if you go after money than if you would have just than if you just sat on the fence and never made a decision so that's the second thing. What is the third thing it is? How are you spending your resources? Uh, it's just, it's a contemplative, self-reflective question. I am not here to judge you. I am not here to say anything about the decisions you make. But the thing I think Jesus would encourage you to do is to think about what you are doing with your time, what you're doing with all the abilities that God gave you, and what you're doing with the money that you have in your life, whatever amount it is. Are you using it in a future-oriented way? Obviously, your decisions are in the present, but the ramifications of those decisions are in the future. The consequences of those decisions are in the future. So are you making... Are you? using your your uh, abilities and your time and your money in a way that reflects and respects what you believe about the future that's sort of the the, the, the down low part and then when you move to the, the part that's more like the directly Christian oriented part it's going to be are you using your uh, time and your money and your abilities in ways that uh, reflect and respect your belief that that God has forgiven everything. Whatever you think needs to be forgiven, God's already forgiven it. That Jesus died on the cross and he rose again, showing us that eternal life is God's gift to us and that we have eternity to look forward to. And our job is to love the world, well, that is to love the people around us, it is to... Um, is to desire the best for the people around us to participate in the redemption of the world. And if you believe that, if that's where you're at, 
then you, it's a time uh, to reflect and and uh, contemplate just for your own self. Nobody's going to climb inside your head and think with you. Uh, just for your own self. To, to Just the way I use my time and my money and my abilities reflect what I believe. Does it reflect and respect what I believe to be true about the world and about my life, about its meaning, and about its eternal destination. So that's uh, that's the that's the contemplation right now, and that's what I got for you. So if you're still here, um, I, again, I want to encourage you to subscribe. If you're listening to the podcast, you can get the podcast. You can just search for podcast and obviously you found it if you're already listening to it so I encourage you to subscribe if you're on YouTube subscribe hit the bell so you get notifications when new episodes are posted uh, haven't done anything with my campaign for Congress except have a couple discussions with people so there's nothing to report there um, if you're ever in Rockledge or Vieira or Merritt Island, Florida, or even Orlando, it's not too far a drive. I'd sure love to meet you in person. Right now, I am a preaching pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Rockledge, Florida. Uh, the website where you can find anything really uh, that you might want to know, anyways, uh, the, or that I want you to know about me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be real. Uh, is my website, johnrollison.com. It'll take you to my congressional re- uh, campaign website. It'll take you to the podcast, whatever. johnrollison.com. Uh, even a couple of books that you might want to get. One one is a specific book for Advent leading up to Christmas. It's, it's kind of a deep dive into some early prophecies and how they uh, lead toward who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Uh, yeah, that's about it. So, thanks for taking a ride with me. I really, really appreciate you being here. And uh, share it with your friends, uh, if it's good stuff. And I, I would be interested to hear your take on anything that you heard today. I mean, what what do you think about you cannot serve God and money? Uh, what do you think... What do you think about... Jesus teaching in stages, so you can't just take anything he says at face value because it might be leading somewhere else. You know, uh, what are what maybe what are some of the struggles and tensions of living uh, to participate in Christ's redemptive work in the world and to put your time and your money and your abilities uh, toward that even as you're working a regular full-time job and you have a family and all that other stuff, I'd be interested to hear from that, hear about that from your perspective too. So anyway, that's me. I am John Rallison, and this has been John Talking Jesus in a Jetta with Java. Three out of four this week. John, the Java, and Jesus. But I'm riding in a Kia. So take care. God bless. Bye-bye.